0: Okay, just do it one more time for me.
1: Check, 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 one, two, three, four, five. Check, 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 one, two, three, four, five. Copycat. <laughs> so, What's
2: wrong with that? That's good. What? I needed to do it as well. Get your own fucking saying.
0: It's okay to be a copycat. As long as you're copying the right cat. There you go. What are you saying about that, bro <laughs> You're the wrong cat. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, and welcome to the Take A Flight podcast with me, Mark Whittle, a peak performance podcast where we hear stories from the best in the world to help us reach our own potential in whatever it is we choose to pursue. Thank you all so much for reposting, sharing, sending messages about the first episode of 2020 with Ollie Proudlock. He's such a great guy. He's been on before. It always goes down so well, and what a way to start 2020. If you enjoyed that episode or any of the episodes in 2019, I would be hugely grateful if you could rate and review the podcast on apple it goes a long way to getting more exposure to the podcast and it definitely helps me with getting great guests for the future of course hosting a podcast around peak performance i strive to have conversations with those who are at the very top in what they do in the whole world people who are achieving on a global level like super bowl winners from the nfl world champion boxers some of the best speakers in the world and leaders in personal development, And this week, I'm incredibly grateful to have two guests who are recently back from performing on the world stage themselves. The guests for episode 67 of the Take Flight podcast are none other than Saracens in Scotland centre Duncan Taylor and Saracens England and British Lions hooker Jamie George. Two of the best rugby players in the entire world who recently returned back from the Rugby World Cup that took place in Japan in October last year. Both of the lads have been on the podcast before, Duncan was episode 4 I think and Jamie was episode 9 if I remember so you can hear their individual stories of how they made it in the game there but to touch on some of their achievements Duncan has 101 appearances for Saracens and 23 for Scotland internationally and Jamie has 167 appearances for Saracens 44 for England and 3 for the British Lions between them they have 257 points scored 3 European Championship Cup wins 5 Premiership trophies two Six Nations one of which was a Grand Slam and a British Lions tour. I'm sure you'll agree an insanely impressive rugby CV. So I was so excited coming up with the idea of doing this and when I suggested it to the lads they were so open-minded and keen to get involved. The goal all along was essentially to do a World Cup review, hear all about what it's like being involved in a World Cup, hear about what it's like for them playing the game they love on the world stage, everything from the call-up to them playing their final minutes competitively in the tournament, including hearing things like the game day prep, recovery methods that they used and even who the lads shared a room with I love both of these boys they're absolute legends I had so much fun sitting down with them thanks so much Jamie for hosting us throughout the episode we were getting a little bit distracted here and there we were negotiating my dog and Jamie's new dog Otto but I think it's fair to say in the end they became friends but I just love the whole time I spent with them both lads are awesome I've known Duncan a long long time since I was 7 years old and he was 5 and I've known Jamie a little over a year but more importantly, it was awesome seeing the lads interact together. They've been on this professional rugby journey together for over a decade now, and it was just great to get them both on the same episode. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 67 of the Take Flight podcast, with two of the best rugby players in the entire world reviewing one of their standout career moments, Duncan Taylor and Jamie George. Thanks for listening. Ready? <clears throat> boys welcome back to the take flight podcast cheers (laughs) it's good to be back (laughs) thanks mate good to be back so do you want to introduce yourselves just so people i mean people will be able to tell the, the accents but just so people who are listening can can figure out who's who
2: dunks after you mate
0: all
1: right um i'm duncan taylor um i play rugby for saracens and occasionally scotland um that's about all I got to say. I'm <laughs> just a
0: bloody good guy. Just a
1: great. Just an goal. all-round
2: great guy. Uh, I'm Jamie George. I also play rugby for Saracens, uh, occasionally for England. Um, and and not yeah, yeah, and uh, not as good a not as good a bloke as DT. But <laughs> try my best. So,
0: so boys, what have you been up to? What's been going on? You've been back for how many weeks?
2: What's this? Four weeks now. You've been back Since four weeks. You, you, uh, were
0: at vi- you were at Villa in the week, weren't you? Yeah, I went
2: to Villa, Villa, yeah. Chelsea. Mad keen. We're going on Sunday as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Who you got on Sunday? Leicester at home. Nice. Got a little box. So have you? Yeah, yeah. very nice. Yeah, lovely. You're a Spot man. Spot on. I mean, yeah, I'm, like, I've got I've got my Griezmann shirt ready to go. Nice. Have really. it,
1: mate. <laughs> I need to get a um, a shirt actually for <laughs> Sunday.
0: <laughs> oh, are you going to well, Dortmund? Yeah,
1: I'm going to get a um, one of the old school Villa shirts. Yeah, How get it. it? it
2: Dwight D-on York. Dion Dublin. Dion Dublin.
1: Dion Dublin. D-on Dublin. D-on Dublin. That's me. That's yeah. good shout. Homes under the hammer.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <They're> nice. That's <laughs> niche
1: knowledge. That.
0: <laughs> what have you been doing, Dunk? Um, I see, In fact, I seen you boys going for a dog walk the other day, and you were wearing shorts. In yeah. shorts in and vans. And vans.
1: Can I
2: just clarify. Yeah, I Red forgot,
1: vans. I forgot. I forgot the old walking boots, and the um, the the place we went to was pretty treacherous. So yeah, those shoes won't see the light of day again. I don't think. No. Um, I've not been up to too much, to be honest. When we got back from the World Cup, I was. Straight in with Surrey, so unlike Jamie and a few of the England boys who have had about two months off since um, we've been in the trenches, mate. Just trying to trying to grind out wins. So um, how have you been getting on? What's the last four weeks look like? um, We've done all right. I think we've uh, we've won all of our Premiership games, bar one, and lost one in Europe. um, Racing away, but we'll we'll take that. We'll take that for um, for what it was. It was it was a tough ask. I think going to Racing. Um, so yeah I think we're happy With our results so far
0: You're happy for the England boys To be back though
1: Yeah Yeah obviously They're make a uh, they a massive boost To the squad And to, to all the boys So everyone's happy To have
0: them back around Yeah Nice Well boys thanks so much For coming on again So awesome. it was episode 4 Dunk I think That you came on Or 5 Might have been 5 And then episode 9 That yeah. you were on Jamie So a lot's happened since then It's been a while is not it Yeah Shortly after that You boys won The premiership again um, yeah, and then you had a Six Nations. Dunk, were you in that one? Were you injured then? Uh, I injured. Yeah, I was injured. I did my knee in that yeah. the, the start of that season, so I missed the whole year. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that and how that led up to your World Cup campaign as well. Mm. But yeah, so much has happened, boys. So it's good to get you both on the podcast. And last time I saw both of you, we had, we had a little walk as well, didn't we? And uh, where where were we? St. Albans was it? Um, I think
1: we did. We go around Verrilian Park.
2: No, I don't know where we were there. We, we pulled up in some random field. Yeah, we pulled up in a field by like some massive manor house. <laughs> oh, okay. Just
0: pulled over on the r- random side of the road, yeah. walked through a field, and
2: yeah, we were, like past a massive manor house, and through, and then we we're in like farmers' fields.
1: Was it in Harpenden? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it was. Actually
2: I there. don't yeah. think. It, I don't think it was St. Albans. We went to that pub first, didn't we, in Harpenden? It was in the That's forest right,
1: in yeah. Harpenden. Well, yeah, we're, it's beautiful there at the minute. Just um, the autumn leaves are all. Yeah. Look the place up. It looks stunning. Yeah. It looks really nice. Get yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, we were uh, chatting on that walk about you getting a dog, Jamie, and now you've got one.
2: I'm here now, sat with a dog, p- praying that he doesn't kick off, that he's on his own. <laughs> <Yeah. it? laughs> he's just around the corner, so uh, yeah, I'm buzzing with it, mate. He's some boy.
0: Yeah, he's an absolute legend, isn't he? Yeah. Right, boys. reason I wanted to get you both back on is, A, because I thought it'd be good fun, but boys. also... As you guys know, it's a peak performance podcast and the opportunity to speak with both of you about your World Cup campaigns and what the experience was like over in Japan. Hear all about the on-pitch and off-pitch affairs and just get a little bit of insight and let listeners hear what that's like to be at the top of, of that sport. So um, I think hearing stories around being on the world stage is going to be massively interesting for people to listen to. So I think just to kick things off with, if I lead this one and look, look to you, Dunk, to get an answer around actually getting into the squad because I know it was probably slightly different for you because you'd had, as you mentioned there, the knee injury that stopped you playing for the whole season. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your experience of being asked and called up into the squad again and uh, and what that was like and why it was a little bit out of the ordinary?
1: Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I picked up um, a knee injury at the start of last season um, where I managed to tear my ACL, MCL, PCL and meniscus. So, um, it's pretty much the four that main. Doesn't, that doesn't leave anything left, does no, it? No, there, there wasn't much left in the knee, so um, I spent nine months um, on the sidelines, and that, and I was back training towards the end of the season, um, but I didn't get any games in before the uh, the World squad, Cup squad was going to get announced, so um, it, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a uh, um, well, I was I guess I was just going in a bit unknown to to where I stood with uh, regards to getting in the squad, where. Whereas you know, quite a lot of these boys are sort of parts of the furniture in their squads, but um, it was a bit different for me. So, um, yeah, I think you know when I managed to get back training, it was just trying to get that confidence back in my knee, and then hope that I'd get given a chance to go and do the uh, preseason in the World Cup and see um, how that was going to go, and and see if I could get myself into the to the uh, to the squad to go to Japan. So, thankfully, it went it went well, and um, I managed to get my knee to a, a point where I was. I was training well throughout pre-season and played in I think it was two or three of the the, the friendlies in the build-ups to the World Cup and um and did alright in those and managed to get picked into the the 30-man squad that went to to Japan so um yeah it was something that I was I was I was really pleased with really happy about really proud that I actually managed to make it there.
0: Yeah me too mate it was nice watching obviously it was a, it was reported on a lot in the media as the teams were being announced and the squads were being announced and people saying that you should be in the squad and that you shouldn't do you listen to any of that stuff or do you just crack on with it
1: no I don't really listen to too much of it to be fair it's just um you know I, I, I worked hard to, to try and get myself into the position to to be able to to be in the shop window and that was all that I could really do after that injury so I worked uh, as hard as I could to get to get myself into the best shape I could for for that period of time and then just tried to to, to see where it got me and and luckily enough I was able to get myself in good enough shape to to make that squad. And, you know, there's there's arguments for and against taking me in, and there always will be. Um But, you know, once you get in that squad, it's not enough just to, to be there once you get over in Japan and stuff. You want to actually be playing and performing for, for your country. So um once I found out I was in the squad, you know, that, that quickly turned to I want to be starting these games and mm. I want to be actually performing and, and trying to play well for, for Scotland.
0: Yeah, amazing, mate. Do you think there's an element as well of... Obviously, the history that you have with playing for Scotland, you had the. You played a huge part in the Six Nations before that. Um, were you the player of the squad? Did you get named player of the squad or anything like that? Or obviously, there's the, the tries that you were really well renowned for that had loads of views. You were in team of the tournament, were you?
2: Um, oh, okay. I can tell you you were in team of <laughs> the tournament. He's trying to be humble, mate. <laughs> yeah,
0: so, does that, does that play a part? Like, having had that happen to you and hadn't had a great tournament and represented your country well? Even though it's a couple of years down the line and you've had troubles of injuries, do you think that plays a part?
1: Yeah, I think it gives you a bit of confidence, you know that you know you can perform at that that level. Um, it was just it was all about how the knee really reacted to, towards getting myself back in into a physical shape to to be able to perform at the highest level, really, at international rugby. So, um, you know, I was I, I was confident that I'd I'd be able to get there and got great S and C and great physios at, at Saracens that managed to. To work round the clock basically to to get me in the right shape. So um, yeah, I was confident that I'd be able to perform once I was back on the field. It was just about getting back on the field, really, and feeling good.
2: I think the I think the mega impressive thing for me was like most people they come back. That's like probably one of the biggest injuries that you can do. And then you know every we saw for nine months how hard he worked. And then but most people if you if you come back from an injury you get you you play like a second team game, um, slowly work your way back into it. Like Dunks, his first game back was, what, France away? Mm. <laughs> so it's like, do you know what I mean? Like throwing back in the deep end and yeah. like for him to perform the way it was, it was just sort of sign a sort of bloke he is. Yeah. Um, and how hard he'd worked, it was everyone else was, you know, buzzing for him.
0: Yeah, oh, I bet, mate. Did you feel sharp?
2: Um, I, Yes and no, really.
1: I felt like I was as sharp as I could have been at the time. Um, and I think now, only now I realise that I probably wasn't as good as I, as I thought that I was at the time, you know, I don't think I was as in, in as good a place as I thought it was at the time. Um, but I felt all right. I was still getting sort of aches and, and pains and, and niggles, but I felt all right. I felt good enough, you know. I don't think you ever really play a game of rugby where you feel 100% these days. So um, that's nothing that that I'm new to. So playing with a little niggle or aches yeah. and pains was, was nothing new. And, um, yeah, I think I was, I was good enough. I was good enough. Um, I felt good enough, so... Yeah, I think it was I mean in hindsight I I think I probably could have done with maybe a a couple of games before going into that France game but um, you know after that France game I needed two weeks off to to recover Um, so yeah it's just adapting and getting used to to taking those knocks and stuff again
0: yeah amazing and what do you think about that Jamie is is it true that you never play a game of rugby 100% Uh, no
2: you probably don't Um, I think it's But you just sort of get used to it. Like, your body's never at 100%. It never will be. I don't think it probably will ever be again. Like, you know, you pick up... Like, you either get the big injuries like Duncan's had or, you know, I'm I'm struggling at the minute with, a like, a foot, a tendon issue in my foot. You can play, you can train, but it's just sore the whole Mm. time and it takes me about half an hour to get going.
0: Is it in the back of your mind when you're playing with that?
2: No, and and that's the thing that sort of... I, I think the best players manage to distinguish, like you know dunks would have been able to put his knee into the back of his mind and think like right i need to fly into this now rather than yeah. being you're almost able to put your body as what to one side and then go right i need to i need to you know your, your mind gets you through most of it anyway yeah. and the adrenaline of games and all the rest of it it's the the struggle for me has always been the like especially at a competition like a world cup where it's like big game after big game after big game is you the way that rugby's going at the minute you have to train at a an intensity that's almost above game intensity in the week. So you've basically got two. We we had three days the way our training schedule worked, but other teams have two. At uh, Saracens you have two. You have two days to get your body back to almost basically play a game again. And then you got four then you've got four days potentially after that with a bit of training in between. Um to get yourself right again. Yeah. So it's like a constant cycle of like you bash your body up on a Saturday You got a couple of days, then you're back into it. The Wednesday, we go big again. Mm. And then, you you know, so you're then on the, you're against the clock to get your body right for Saturday. And then it just, it just keeps (laughs) going. It's like a vicious circle. But yeah, I I think you kind of just get used to it. And the more, the longer that I've played, the more I've realized how important the recovery side of things was when I was a bit younger. I, would you know, not think anything of it, didn't do anything. Um, but that was one thing that Eddie Jones sort of brought in was the emphasis on recovery. Like we train mm. like ridiculously hard, but, you know, we see the results of that, but that just stresses the importance of recovery. So.
0: Yeah, amazing. It's interesting. I've, been, I've had a few boxers on the podcast since yeah. you boys have been on. One of them was John Ryder, who controversia, controversially lost against Callum Smith. I don't know if you saw that fight yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Um, and a few other boxers, and they talk a lot about how camp... Should be so much harder than the actual fight itself, so by the time you step in the ring, it feels almost easy in comparison yeah. um but yeah, interesting to hear what you said about eddie jones there what what were the big things that he brought into camp around recovery what were you doing uh
2: just just like i think recovery is uh it's quite a, like a general word um and I think the big thing was that he that he emphasized with it it was compulsory, so you have to do it um and he uh i think it the one thing with it is that you, you have to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so like some people like Manu Tuolangi, for example, can't train, can't play unless he does ice baths after sessions. Really? Like it's just like, it, it, that's his thing. What, psychologically? So, well, I don't know. I mean, he's had a lot of like groin and hamstring issues and all the rest of it. So, you know, that's something that he's had to deal with. And he finds like an ice bath the best thing for him. For me, like I got into it a little bit. I'm more of like contrast and, and I'll do a bit of flex stuff. Mm-hmm you know they they got like hot pod yoga on the go and like a, few of, a few of us flew into that it was, it was quite a good crack <laughs> Who did you do that um there oh mate there was loads of boys in the end um it started off like three of us me owen and Elliot daly yeah and then after that everyone was mad keen for it so <laughs> um yeah it was no like I, I think it's one of those things that you just have to you just have to find out what works for you yeah. um uh, and it is difficult because you just don't like you just don't know. And some things might work one week and they don't the other. But the big thing that Eddie did was say like, right, you, you know, this is an allocated time. You've got an hour yeah. and you're going to do recovery. We'll put anything on that you want. But we're going to train really hard. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to get some recovery.
0: Interesting about the hot pod yoga, mate. So is that something that Eddie said here's a list of options of things you can do for your recovery? Or was that your idea to um, go into that?
2: It wouldn't have been Eddie. It would have been like the S&C guys. Okay. So like right. Eddie, will, Eddie will say, look, I want to stress the importance of recovery. He would then pass it on to mm. the medics and the S&C and all those boys. And then, um, but that that was something that like, you know, it's always, because it's all so individual. It was one of those, those conversations where it was like, is this something you'd be interested in? And we said, yeah. Hmm. And then and like next minute we've got massive tent that comes into camp we bought a hot pod you know we bought a load of dyson heaters and um, <laughs> got someone in every week who, who did it for us so it was um yeah that, that is the sort of thing that the boys ended up flying into like at first you don't know, you don't want to see it. everyone has this like stigma around doing yoga everyone thinks it's all like meditation and stuff and then yeah. next minute the boys come out of it feeling a million dollars so it's sweet.
0: yeah why well, do you think more people got involved in it were you just
2: screaming? just just because like it takes two or three of you to say it's good, and then they're like, "All oh, right, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go." <laughs> it's is such like a rugby player thing to do.
0: <laughs> You're leading the way, though.
2: Yeah, I was leading the way. Yeah. I was mad keen for it. <laughs>
0: what about you, Dunk? What was the uh, what was the emphasis on recovery in the Scotland camp? Uh, we did. We were all about the ice baths, to be fair. Nice.
1: Um, what Jamie was saying there really. Um, we actually in the build-up to Japan, we were doing a lot of um, hot or heat training rather. So after training we'd get in a hot bath for 20 minutes You'd, you wouldn't drink water for that 20 minutes i think the bath was set at sort of 42 degrees or something along those lines and um all the boys would get in there and just sit in there for 20 minutes um and i don't think that's particularly great for, for inflammation but it's but it was good to get our, our bodies used to the heat Mm. um and then guys yeah we just we would be on the ice baths when we were in japan we were hitting ice baths after every training session after every mm. uh game um there were compulsory ice baths and i felt like that made a big difference actually to to my recovery as well yeah. um particularly I, I get a lot of neural problems so a lot of sort of nerve pain through my back and down through my hamstrings and those ice baths really seem to dampen that down a bit so um it's the first time i've properly used them to be fair um on such a regular basis and I felt like I made a massive difference to my recovery.
0: Mm, nice, yeah, because what ultimately is happening is the blood's being drawn away from wherever the pain or injury is and then you're getting it flooded back in. So I guess the recovery can start again, but like at a 10x level. Exactly, yeah. mm. Would you carry on the, the yoga, Jamie? Will you carry on the ice baths now you've come back?
2: It's funny you should say that, actually. I was actually looking up, uh, there's no hot pod yoga anywhere near here. The, no, the really? closest one's Hackney, which is a <laughs> bit of a trek. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's like a, Bikram yoga place down the road so awesome. I might give that a crack I was actually looking into it maybe tomorrow yeah I might give it a go but it's one thing that Saris aren't brilliant at in terms of your recovery it's sort of like you've got access to like a field down the road and you can get in the pool and all that stuff um, but it's more doing it on such a big scale like we will have like 60 players mm-hmm. you know to get an ice bath on the go for 60 players is, <laughs> yeah. is first of all very expensive like one thing we've got at Saris is a cryo machine yeah. which is brilliant um Very good for us, but we can't turn it on every week because it's so expensive. So, you know, they sort of pick and choose and um, periodize when you can do it. So Mm. we jump in there, but it's probably something that we need to, as players, get ahead around and and make our own plans. Because, you know, we're very lucky on an international level, there's a lot more money and a lot more access to to these things. So it's a lot easier, whereas it's probably more your own responsibility when you get back to club, even, Mm. you know, a top club like Zarys that's yeah. for the
1: England team by the way it's different from the
0: Scotland
2: <laughs> team there's very different budgets
1: there
2: <laughs> what
0: about Carter and George would they uh, bring a hot pod yoga <laughs> yeah session? mate actually that's not a bad show. Yeah. I haven't even
2: thought about that um, we're doing yoga as we speak nice. uh, available online if you're interested <laughs> <laughs> uh, no we are we, we've got a little We've got a little yoga set up going at the minute so I might just buy a couple of Dyson heaters and throw them in there, there and see go. how that goes yeah I'll be there mate as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs>
0: all right so back to that question we got a little bit sidetracked there but it's so interesting to hear about the recovery side of things and what you were doing what you weren't doing and what you enjoyed doing so what was it like for you the experience of getting the call i imagine you were probably to a certain degree expecting the call because you've been such a big part of the squad beforehand anyway but what was it like and who was it who actually rang you uh
2: we uh we don't ever get a call so basically no news is good news Uh um so basically if you're not in you get a call all oh, right. Um, so Jesus. you're looking at your phone like praying. Rather than praying for a phone call, you're praying for nothing. Um so I found out on Sky Sports News. No way. Yeah, yeah. Um like you said, uh, you know, I probably was expecting to be in the wider in the wider squad, haven't been involved in it for a little while, but you know, you never know what could happen and yeah. Eddie's the sort of bloke who'll make you know, make those decisions and <laughs> Uh, unexpected decisions but yeah I was lucky enough to be in it and um, just drop the starting hooker <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, no but it was good and then yeah we uh, we came in a couple of weeks after into our camp we, the Saris or the Saris and Exeter boys in the final came in a couple of weeks after the rest mm-hmm. of the boys just to give us because we played in the final so yeah um, yeah so it was good it was good and it was good to get going with the boys I think the, the one the lads who had been in before had been going through some pretty brutal training so it's like always savage hearing the stories about how how hard it is um so yes it was it was as hard as they said it was yeah
0: (laughs) i wonder if that's a psychological thing that he's ringing the ones who aren't in the squad and isn't telling the people who are in the squad almost like it's just you're in the squad you know you should just be happy without having to hear the news from me directly or from someone in the team yeah Um, i don't
2: know i've never i've never experienced any of that well uh, the lions was like that actually really uh, you don't find out anything before and it's like, it was savage because... Drop that one in there. Sorry. Yeah, I'll pick that one up. Uh, <laughs> but like, you, you, like that was the same thing. Like you find out on Sky Sports News, we were at training and like we were watching it on a big screen and like there's so many boys in there and like, I actually tried to watch it elsewhere because that was a very, like I wasn't expecting to go on it but there was a lot of talk that I might. Yeah. Um. So that was a bit different but yeah, it's, it's a weird way of doing it but um, it's, it's the way that Eddie does his thing. He likes mm. to keep people on his toes, and um, yeah, it was, t- it was tough on those boys that didn't get in. But yeah, yeah, we were buzzing, to, buzzing to be involved again. Yeah. And um, it was slightly different to the selection for the last World Cup as well. So why is that? Um, well, just because I, I wasn't, so I didn't get picked in the squad originally. Oh yeah. And then sort of w- like wangled my way in through a, through a, <laughs> through someone getting banned for Dylan getting banned and all that stuff. So. Um, it was nicer to be in like a more confident position this time around Yeah,
0: yeah. What about you, Dunk? Was did you get a phone call? How do the guys do it at Scotland?
1: Yeah, I had a phone call. Um, I had a phone call off off Gregor Townsend, and he basically just it was it was, I was up in the air really up until the the week before I got that phone call as to whether or not I was going to go. Um, I was suffering quite bad from Achilles tendinopathy just because obviously coming back from that knee injury um, the the. The amount of load that was going through my legs, I just wasn't used to it, and um, I got tendinopathy in my Achilles, and it was pretty savage. And I was struggling to train or um, to turn around and, and, you know, playing in that France game and then trying to turn it around in a week. Um, I was really struggling to do that. So, yeah, it was it was it was unknown really whether I was going to go or not. That last week, um, it was there was sort of a few different scenarios that could have taken place, and and uh, luckily I got that phone call, and um, yeah, it was over the moon really, just. Wanted to wanted to ring the family and tell the family straight away that was I was uh I was going, providing that I was gonna make it through. I'd make it through one more game um to get there, but thankfully I did that.
0: What's it like after an entire season off the pitch to cross the white line again? You buzzing?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was buzzing. I was very it was quite emotional really. That that first that France game was, was really emotional, just um again being out for so long and, and watching so many uh, so many games and so many international games and stuff and just wishing that you are out there. Um, I think it gives you a massive appreciation having that time out for how much it really means to you and how much it means to, to the people around you as well. So um, I think, you know, that, fra- that France game away, um, even though there's only about four people singing the national anthem in the stadium, it was still, it was still really emotional and um, that, that's a moment that I won't forget.
0: Yeah, amazing, mate you hear people talk about performance anxiety is it difficult to especially when you're coming back from a long time off the field to manage that when you're really excited to get back into the game again
1: yeah that game was was um you know really had to to battle with that the uh the excitement levels really because i was super excited to get out there i was a bit nervous about my knee i was a bit anxious about you know again it was first game i'd had in in nine months or so and you're you're questioning whether you, you should be in that position or not so um, you know, I knew that I had to had to to perform and had to perform well to to, to give myself a chance at going to the World Cup. So the uh, yeah the the anxiety around that whole week was was probably something new for me really that I, I don't usually get that nervous for games. But I remember that week was was uh, was quite an anxious one. And you know, after I got out on the pitch, everything kind of just settled down and I was fine. But yeah. it's just that build up to the game and. And uh, and the build-up throughout the week that that got me a little bit and and tested me I think to to a point that I hadn't been tested before as far as my nerves were concerned.
0: Yeah, it's weird how the anticipation beforehand is so much worse than when you actually get on the field and or whatever it is that you're doing. You're in the moment, you're not really thinking about it anymore, and it all washes away.
1: Yeah, that's it. As soon as you get out on that field, everything just just you get into that state of flow, don't you? Where yeah. you just you're not thinking of anything else but what's going on around you. So yeah, um, yeah but the build-up.
2: I, I say it's much worse for the people like for like family and friends Mm. watching because at least you can for that time you're not thinking about your knee but your family are probably thinking Mm. that's all they're thinking about yeah it's the same for like my parents get like super nervous for games and like they're you know in the big games of the world cup same thing like they're just i'm feeling completely fine like because i'm in it i've got control of what what, some control over what i'm doing um whereas they're just sat in the stands like they'll just be worrying the whole time
1: (laughs) i mean having that season out with with this uh with this injury i Watching every week was one of the worst experiences of my life. You're I, a bad watcher. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I just get You get so wound up and so nervous and there's nothing you can do. And you just sat there and you feel completely helpless to a situation. So I basically just stopped watching rugby and I'd see what the results was. And if really? we'd won, then I'd, I'd watch it. And if we didn't, then I wouldn't bother. What about the final? Um, I watched the final, yeah. Watched the final. Yeah, what
2: were uh, you like in that final? Are you, are you, seeing as you're a bad watcher. Yeah, it was, <laughs> that would have was been a stressful time. Yeah, <laughs> I was.
1: I was real anxious. There was a, there was a few toilet visits, um, and I'd stay in there for for ten, fifteen minutes at a time sometimes. So it was uh, it was tough. I think the only way around that when you're injured is is um, is to have a few beers really, settle it, settle the anxiety. That's the, that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just bury it. Yeah. it. <laughs> bury it under under beer. Yeah. Did
0: you watch it at home then on your own?
1: Now I was at the game. Um, oh, okay. We went to the game, so there was a crew of us that were watching in the stands.
0: Yeah,
2: what about you, Jamie, in that game? Um, yeah, I mean, a similar thing. Like I was, it was probably the one time where I was like nervous mid-game because obviously in big games like that, where it's like you either win a trophy, it's almost like season-defining, mm. sometimes career-defining, um, and we'd gone behind like we had a terrible start conceded off the kickoff um which was fine and we we just weren't playing very well and then next to were playing very well they uh yeah they got they got ahead and I, i fully thought that that was it you know they were what 12 13 points ahead with about 20 minutes to go yeah and then like it was just a conversation from like owen farrell basically being like look like we've either got to roll over and die or or give this a crack and like the next thing was like Liam Williams was like right kick kick the ball to me off the kickoff I'll get it back for us and then that just sparked something and then wow. managed to turn it round and yeah.
0: The rest is history I guess yeah it was amazing watching it was ridiculous yeah that's quite nice I can obviously I want you guys to win because I know you but it's it's nice to be able to watch as a almost as a neutral really. yeah
2: yeah yeah I think it showed a lot of strength of character in terms of the group like we were properly up against it I don't think anyone would have thought that you know I think Exeter fully thought they had won it. Yeah. Um,
0: maybe that was part of it though
2: yeah it is interesting like how that dynamic works and like for me it, it actually took someone like Owen's speech under the post to be like right because a lot of teams were like right you know let's just give it a shot whereas he was like we can do this but we need to we need to like sort ourselves out what minute was that oh, late on it was after they scored their try I think that um, was the last 20 minutes when it. Was yeah so in 60, 60, or around 60. 60 minutes yeah um, but then it also like someone like Liam Williams where he was like look kick me the ball I'll, I'll win it back for you yeah. and he actually didn't which was a funny oh, thing but, but the the just hearing him say that was like right he's going to do his job Owen's oh, he's going to put it on the money Like so then it all just sort of sparked from that yeah. and that was that little bit of hope that we needed and it was like right sometimes you, you take a lot of inspiration well I personally take a lot of inspiration from the people around me mm-hmm. and like seeing him want the ball made me want the ball yeah. made other people want to make the tackles you know it was massive domino effect
0: yeah amazing like the ripple effect and it just enforces more trust in each other yeah I exactly as well, yeah which yeah. is one of your guys big uh, like big part of your culture isn't it yeah, definitely I know we're bouncing about a little bit here so when I spoke about the final there obviously meant the club final oh, and then yeah. getting back into the world cup stuff Um I was just fascinated then to hear about how you were watching the game and how because that game was amazing from a Sar- Saracen standpoint so Something I'm particularly interested in, you mentioned Exeter. Obviously, that's the second year in a row that you beat them in the final, right? The third? Third year in a row. Or was there a gap? In no, there? second. You're right.
2: 2017, they, they, want, they yeah. beat us in the semi-final. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, some of those guys are in the England set with yeah. you, Jamie. You mentioned the hot pod yoga as well and some of the people who were going along with you there. And you mentioned Faz was one of those people. Yeah. So do you naturally... Are you naturally drawn to people... From your club when you're in the international setup and same question to you dunk after jamie's
2: uh no well it's something that i think uh, like when you first go in of course you are like you're, you're naturally you'll you'll migrate to the people that you know best um but that was probably the biggest strength of our group was how diverse it was and how there weren't any cliques as they call them i think like back in the the old days, uh, you know, the Martin Johnson era. There was a big Leicester clique, and mm. you know, the Leicester people wouldn't talk to the Bath people, and the, that just that just doesn't happen anymore. And yeah. it was a massive strength of the England group, really. Like, you know, I got on as well with a lot of the Exeter boys as I did with the mm. Sarries boys, and um, Eddie and Owen put a massive emphasis on that in terms of you know that was something that they highlighted from the Six Nations. He said, you know, we probably weren't very cohesive, and you know, we needed to get tighter off the field because it sort of, we showed that in terms of the way that the last sort of 20 minutes against Wales when we threw it away and the fact that we let Scotland back in, you know, from being 30 points up, no international team should do that. Mm. And and we probably fell apart a little bit which shows that we weren't overly together. Um, So we put a lot of emphasis on it and it was nice for us to be able to have a full summer, to be able to sort of try and build that and honestly by the end everyone was was tighter than ever so right. i think you saw it in the way that we played
0: yeah 100% interesting though you, you spoke about what actually happened in that extra game and obviously it's such a huge game and a huge turnaround yeah. was there any chat about that because obviously there's a lot of humor in rugby and banter in rugby
2: yeah there was always banter like it was just like classic you know the extra lads were like come on like what like <laughs> as if you've done that kind of thing but no it was like it was pretty good um in fact, like those all those boys are pretty sound, um, and they just said like fair play to you boys. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, it was it was like even me watching like playing on the field, watching the other boys go, I was like pretty impressed with the way that it, <laughs> yeah. I was inspired by what the boys were doing, so yeah. it makes you want to be a part of it. So they 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 were they were sound about it and they obviously got it in their own right, but you know, they were they were pretty impressed with what we did as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet. What about you then, Dunk? You're lucky enough to have some of your uh Sarri's teammates in the Scotland setup as well. Were you naturally drawn to those guys or did you spend time with everyone? I mean you've been in the, the squad for some time as well, so I'm sure you know all of them pretty well. Yeah,
1: I I wanna say, um, we didn't spend much time together, but I room with Sean Maitland for pretty much the the full four months. Really? <laughs> yeah. In the pre-season <laughs> all the way through the World Cup. Just but it's not because we were at Saracens together, you know, it's just because we've we've got a good dynamic and we get each other and when you're spending that amount of time away from home, it's quite important that you have yeah. a good dynamic with you. Both extremely your
2: laid back blokes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is Sean as laid back as Uh No, no one is, but, okay. um, Sean's, <laughs> yeah, he's, Sean's, he's a Sean's a heavy gamer.
1: Sean's yeah. a heavy gamer. So he, he had his he, PS4 on tour what and he ga- just, what game is he he's, um, apex. So he just crushes apex. It's basically like a, it's kind of like a vo- version of Fortnite. Okay. A newer version of Fortnite. Right. Um, and I was, I was actually pretty amazed just watching him play. Um,
2: who did you room with, Jamie? Um, so Eddie didn't. His plan again with this togetherness stuff was to try and put us with different people the entire time. Yeah. So uh, I room with Joe Marley, Ellis Genge, um, a few like a few others. But then when we got to Japan, mostly it was so I shared with Elliot Daly because we yeah. share together most of the time. So yeah, um, I snore and he sleeps heavily, so um, that sort of works pretty oh, well. Perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah. And Dunk, do you think you're? Uh, your roommate with Sean was was that picked from a positional sense?
2: Um,
1: it was it was picked just because we've roomed together in the past and we got along really well. And like I said, I, I know it is, it is great when you room with different people because you do get to know them um, for, on a whole new level. But it's also important that you're you're getting enough sleep and you're on sort of similar timetables and you know you're not a million miles from, from away from each other because um you know when, you, when you're just expected to get good sleeps and wake up and be able to perform every day it's important that you've you've got that cohesion with your roommate so um i think the scotland guys were pretty relaxed about us just requesting who we wanted to room oh, nice. with um and most guys had their their requests so um yeah i think they were pretty easy going with that as long as we were we were active in spending time with each other off the field as well so yeah. making sure we were going for coffees or dinners or whatever it might be with different groups and and yeah, you know, I think everyone was pretty good at that. To be fair, everyone everyone um, gelled pretty well from all the younger guys that were in the squad to to the older boys and everything in between. So
2: yeah, yeah, I think it it worked quite nicely.
0: Yeah, oh nice. And we've already established that Jamie, you spent a lot of time brewing coffee in Japan.
2: Yeah, there's a serious serious co- coffee setup that we had in Japan. Yeah, I've, uh, my my latte art skills are coming on nicely.
0: Yeah, I've just been spoiled to a phenomenal flat white.
2: <laughs> Too kind. <mate>. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I find that really interesting about the whole roommate side of things because I often wonder in my own life in business and a lot of people who either have startups or are part of big corporate companies around the benefit of sitting with people in your team or in another part of the business and getting perhaps a slightly different perspective from that person who's in a different role to you altogether or just learning from maybe someone who's in a similar role but who's been doing it longer. I think obviously there's benefits from both so it's interesting to hear that you, Jamie, had a, a different roommate. Maybe that's why he was trying to change that up a bit
2: yeah I think so Um, but I I 100% see what Dunks is talking about like especially when you're away for that period of time like it's you know we were away for two months um, and in total nearly five Mm. Um, and you do you get to you know you, you get on better with some people and you don't get on you know and it's not necessarily you get on with them but you know for example like the sleeping thing's a big thing like some people can't sleep like me and Owen get on really well but Owen can't sleep with someone who snores so it's like it's, it's it's just the way it is. But then you also, you want to go with someone or share with someone who is on a, you know, has got similar interests to you. And so you can almost, you don't have to be on edge when you're in your own room. You can just like sit and relax yeah. and be pretty chilled yeah. out about it. So um, it is, it is, it's an important dynamic, but it's, it was actually cool for me to, to be able to share with people that I hadn't shared with normally because mm. usually I'm with Elliot the whole time and, we, and I ended up with Elliot at the end as well. But it was nice to sort of, you know, get to know other people a little bit better too
0: yeah yeah it's fascinating to hear so something i wanted to ask both you guys about is the role that you play within that team you're both leaders in your own right and i want to add a little bit of context to this before you answer the question so midway through i think it was just getting towards the latter stages of the group game i was on the tube in london and there was a metro paper on the floor and it was opened at page two or three or something like that but a double page spread uh, with none other than Jamie George <laughs> and the article was oh, I, I read it and I was like nah that's not that's not fair but it was talking about how you are the joker in the team and although you like I'm sure you bring humor and fun to the squad, I think obviously you do so much more than that, but it depicted you as this Joker and just like had loads of pictures of you in your fancy dress.
2: <laughs> do like fancy dress in fairness.
0: And the one you did from the Up fancy dress was yeah, phenomenal. That, yeah. <laughs> Russell from Up. Yeah. There was, it's
2: real. uncanny. <laughs>
0: so did you see the article first? No. Okay. Uh, I
2: remember I remember doing the the interview though. Um, and someone someone sort of my, I think my old man might have said something to me. Um, right, okay. I do know what you're talking about. I um yeah, it's an interesting one. So basically the reason why they say that is well, because Eddie put such a big emphasis on the sort of togetherness side of things, he um he wanted the social element to be big, so they put me in charge of the, the head of the social committee, I guess you can call it. Um, so I tried to put on like, you know, different different things for the boys and like say we were going to Tokyo, I'd try and find some coffee shops or whatever. Nice. That sort of so that was I guess a role that I had within the team, but it's quite an interesting um interesting dynamic because obviously you're always seen as you know you are almost like sometimes I put on like game shows for the boys at night and obviously you're seen as a bit of a joker then but then I guess the the real sign of leadership is then being able to flick the switch and when you're talking about rugby and you want to be respected mm-hmm. and getting the balance right of that is is one that I found pretty difficult but um I think I got there towards the end um to towards the end of the summer then before the tournament actually started because you know, the position that I play has to be a position of leadership. Um and so I you know, I had to sort of try and work on that side of things as well. Mm. And um I do enjoy the leadership side of things, so I guess getting the, the sort of social and serious leadership side of things was a was a challenge, but one that I quite enjoyed.
0: Yeah, amazing. So you headed the social committee, but then at the same time on the pitch, one of the key leaders with Yeah, so
2: and like, you know, I'm I, I play in a position that you know, I've, I've sort of got to be one of the people who tries to work things out and, you know, wants to try and get a response from people and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, being able to try and gauge that is is a tough one, but something that I sort of think I've grown into quite a lot. Mm. It's
0: interesting. I was at a talk the other day with Jamie Peacock, the um, yeah, yeah. former Leeds Rhinos and England captain or Great Britain captain. And he was talking about when he captained Great Britain, he had the likes of Sean O'Loughlin, Kevin Sinfield and other people who were captains Superstar, of their club yeah. yeah and superstars within the game so he had to try and kind of get everyone to come together and, and manage them individually as leaders and help them help have him get assistance from them to, to manage the yeah. whole squad at the time so how do you manage so many amazing players and leaders in a team because obviously you've got Faz yeah. and other people who are captains of it's something that too. I think
2: that's a, a, something that Faz is, is best at really um, so you like play a supporting act to him yeah degree? well yeah to a degree like if he wants me to like I'm you know I think at international level, it would be the same. At Scotland, you've got so many good players who are all, like naturally the best players at their clubs. Naturally, mm. then would be leaders at their clubs. So you got a wealth of knowledge. And the best thing that he did was just sort of, you know, he was certainly the head leader. We could see that. But a lot of the time, he wouldn't say anything. And he, George Ford, did a lot of work. You know, he basically ran our attack. He might as well have been the attack coach half the time. <laughs> um, he's like a seriously impressive bloke and knows his rugby really well. Um, and, you know, like Owen would just draw on people like that. He'd draw on myself. He'd draw on Maro. Um, There was like a leadership group that, you know, they all worked well together. Mako t- spoke quite a lot in the, at times. Um, and I think you have to, you know, you've got you got such a, such a huge range of experience, such a huge range of, um, like, diversity in terms of the group and people with different philosophies and theories and um, getting those guys to all come together and then speak at different times, I think, just added a huge amount of value to the group
0: mm. yeah what about you Dunk? any was it a similar story or anything to add
1: um yeah we've got we've got quite a few leaders in our group as well um and it's and it's very similar to to the england setup there really um a lot of guys sort of take responsibility in in team huddles just to to talk about it. we've got a leadership group um of maybe five or six guys that that take the the reins in that in, in meetings and and in team huddles and, and in sessions and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that, that dynamic is important. Having the, the right group of, of leaders in, in a squad is very, very important to the team. And I think, um, you know, it's constantly evolving and constantly changing um, every time you go in and out of these camps. But we got, we got the majority of it right during the World Cup, I think.
0: Yeah. What's the difference between club and playing, you know, on the big stage a World Cup, travelling over to Japan, new environment around you, how how's it, how's it differ? do you feel more pressure um
1: I, I don't really feel more pressure i don't think um playing international rugby I, you know obviously the spotlights on you in in a far bigger way than it is when you're playing um just for your for your club but i don't i, I you sort of just get used to to playing rugby i think from from whenever it was when i started playing um every every week's you know, you're building up every week to to play a game at the weekend, and that's just the way it is for when you're playing for Saracens or where you're playing for for your international team as well. You just build up the week to play at the weekend, and you know the game will come and go, and then you'll go again the next week. And that was just the the, the kind of way that I've always looked at it. And you know, going away to Japan, there's there's obviously the, there is more pressures and and more um, more people watching and more people aware of what you're doing. And um, you know, I think people. Accept that and and take that different ways. Um, some people obviously thrive of it. Some people just ignore it. Some people, um, some people, you know, listen to it too much. So um, I think everyone's quite different in the way they in the way they adapt from from club rugby into international rugby. But for me, I don't feel like the pressures are any different. To be honest,
2: I think it depends what you what you value and why you do it. Like some people like will be honest with you and say they play for money. Some people, you know, play for. Um, the sort of ego side of things, and they love the fact that they can put a picture up on social media and they get twenty thousand likes and loads of people saying that they love them. And you know they won't, they probably wouldn't say that, but that's you know some people really value that side of things. Um, I think like for me and Duncan's pretty similar. I know that from playing with him for a long time. It's like all we value is sort of the respect of the people that we care about, the, our families and on and our teammates. And if you do that, then it shouldn't really matter what stage you're playing on. Of course. It's on a bigger stage. There's more people watching. You are aware of it. But like we said, it's like the same thing with the injury. Like once you're in it, you know, the build-up might be slightly, there might be slightly more hype around the build-up. Um, but once you're in it, you you know, you, all you want to do is just try and get the best out of him and him get the best out of me and me not let him down. Um, hmm. And that's sort of the, the my philosophy on that side of things. And I think it keeps you pretty level-headed throughout.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You can see that that's the way that you guys kind of live your lives on in and out of rugby anyway so that's yeah. amazing to hear I think the ones who do it for the ego stuff as well like the likes on Instagram are the ones who are going to be probably they're probably the ones who are going to struggle more when their career comes to an end if yeah, that's all they've 100%,
2: done 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that is a worry the more the social media comes into the, into the world mm-hmm. um, the more sort of hype that you get around yourself and then suddenly you're not playing for England anymore and yeah hype goes away a little bit so um, but yeah but I'm sure people will be be careful and work work that out in their own way
0: yeah it's funny I was chatting to a pro footballer the other day who was saying that it can believe that in the modern day some players are even bought by clubs for their social media following
2: yeah yeah it's mad
0: and you've got like that was largely international players and you've got in like local lads who are amazing at football who aren't getting given a chance because they we haven't got, got
2: five hundred followers rather yeah. than five hundred thousand now. Yeah, it's
0: a strange world we live in, huh? Eh? It it's a strange world. Strange world. Don't you don't use Instagram or any social media? <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm useless on I'm right? useless. <laughs> right. So one of the things I want to talk about on the episodes we did before, we we both spoke about mindset and the power of mindset and and how that can help you become a, the best version of yourself. One of the standout moments for me in the World Cup was the England New Zealand game, mm. where you obviously did the you kind of. The V. The V. (laughs) Yeah, people are calling it a V. The V. V. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just really fascinated to hear the story behind it, who came up with the idea, and kind of why you even approached it like that.
2: Yeah. um, So, like, we'd heard that we were were thinking about we, uh, everything sort of comes from Eddie, really, um, and Owen. And uh, I think they were having conversations around wanting to do something to the hacker to show... You know, not to disrespect it because you have to respect their culture and what the hacker stands for, but um, almost say to them that you know it's not them coming for us; it's we're coming for them as well. Um, and that was a that was something like quite a bold statement, I thought. And uh, but initially, we only found out about it the night before, oh. so we'd heard rumors. And then we always have a, a captain's meeting, just the players, and Owen sort of explained it to us. My initial reaction was, "Who's in that meeting?" just the players just, the, just players. the 31 group of players yeah none of the coaches right. it's, it's the same it's tradition you know you have a captain to meet in the night before a game in England and uh, then my first reaction was every team that has messed around with a hacker have got absolutely pumped so like, <laughs> I'm like I'm sat there and I'm thinking like can we not just because like you know in 2017 we just basically said look let's just give the hacker the respect it deserves and then get on with things um, you know not live up to it not try and hype them up too much but this was, I think, it was very clever what they decided to do, um, and so we had to sort of do a bit of a walkthrough because we got pr- some pretty simple minds in our group who doesn't really know how V works. But um, and like Joe Marlow, for example, if you watch it back, he actually thought that we were going to surround them the whole way round, so he kept walking past the halfway line and then like walked back and turned around, and none of the lads were there, and he was like, "Lads!" Like, um, and he got fined for that, didn't he? And he, uh, yeah, we got fined for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No yeah, it was like three grand or something. <laughs> Jesus. Um, a few coffees, yeah. So we, we we spoke about it the night before. He, he basically like Owen said, like, "Look, has anyone got any isu- any issues with this? This is what we're doing, and this is why we want to do it." And despite like thinking, oh, like you know, is this the right thing to do? He he just got everyone on board straight away, unbelievable. Um, and it and it worked because in a way it almost put more pressure on us to go right. If we're going to do this, we've got to start like a house on fire because you mm-hmm. can't give it the big and and stand up to the hacker like that and then fold over when they come come out of the blocks yeah. and. That was probably the most impressive thing for me is how we backed it up. We backed it up well. Our first 10, 15 minutes of some of the best rugby we'd played in a long time. So um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was class.
0: It was amazing to see. I think like watching rugby over the years with the All Blacks in particular, like they're such a powerful team and they are like the legends of the game. But to see that, because it's an emotional thing anyway, watching the Hacker. Yeah. But to see you guys do that, I was just, it was it was even more emotional. It was just like fucking powerful. You could feel it just yeah. watching. In the moment when it was happening, what were you thinking?
2: I was thinking that like this was it was more iconic than I ever thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, like you could almost feel it, and then like I looked up at the big screen and there was Faz's big grin, or whatever you call it. I don't know what that <laughs> was a smirk. And I was thinking, like, geez, he's ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the sort of look that you need to see from your captain, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um and like you could see it from them, like it shocked them a bit because you know, whenever they do the hacker, if you think about it, they're always only ever looking forward. So like a lot of times what they say is the Kiwis will pick on one person. So like, or they might, each individual might go to their opposite number and just just stare them down. But this time, obviously not everyone was in front of them. There were some people to the left, some people to the right. And so they were constantly sort of like turning their heads and it was a little bit different. They weren't entirely sure what what to do. Yeah. And like the reaction of Kieran Reid was quite good. Their captain who, he almost gave us a smirk back like, and a bit of a nod and basically said like, Fair I quite like this. Like, fair play. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was like it was special to be a part of, and all that. You know, you, I don't think you really realize it until almost until I got home, and then people were like, "What about the New Zealand game?" Yeah. It was that hacking. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. What about you, Dunk? Watching that, what were you thinking with all your mates doing that?
1: Um, I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" Like, f- <laughs> this is this is. Clear. I wasn't sure what the what they were going to do. You know, whether they were going to start marching forward or like when Joe Marla passed the halfway line, I was thinking, this is going to end up in a scrap. They're going to literally all end up surrounding the, the Kiwi blokes here and it's just going to kick off. So, um, yeah, so obviously everyone was just thrown off by it and that was exactly what it was designed to do. And um, like Jamie said, to, to challenge the, the New Zealanders back, which was impressive. And like he said, the, the most impressive thing was about how the, they backed it up and you know watching that 15, 20 minutes at the start of that, that game was was uh, was was pretty mind-blowing to be fair watching watching these guys just rip that team to pieces was was incredible and everything um everything that they did was just turned into gold you know and all their touches were perfect and the skill level was just through the roof and it was just one of those games where you just sat back and watched it and thought you know this is this is the best team in the world and they're they're getting torn to shreds here um and that was when you you kind of thought no team's going to beat england if they're playing like this if they're if they're on the day, no team will be beat England when they play like this. And, you know, obviously it wasn't meant to be in the final, which, which is a shame for, for these guys. But, you know, it was, uh, that performance was, was one of the best performances I've seen from an England team. And I'd probably say ever, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Amazing to hear that. So as a professional, rugby player yourself on the international stage. Was that England New Zealand game, the real final of that tournament?
1: Um, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a shame that it wasn't the final. Um, obviously for all the England guys it's a shame that it wasn't the final and just the, the game itself was just such a such an incredible game to watch as well I think um the whole rugby community um enjoyed that game more than any other game in the in the World Cup um by, you know a few of the Japan games um where obviously all the fans were going absolutely nuts but um yeah I think you know I think that was that was just a huge game in itself and and could have easily and it was a shame that, because it was worthy of a final and it's a shame that it wasn't but I mean, that's the way these, these things work out. Sometimes you meet each other in semifinals or quarterfinals and it's just not meant to be a final. So, um, yeah, incredible game to watch. So.
0: Yeah, 100% agree. What about you, Jamie? Do you feel like that was your real final? Or do you think that it was such a huge, monumental occasion that perhaps it led to the final not feeling quite as big yeah, an occasion?
2: I, I, I haven't quite worked it out yet, to be honest. Like, I'm trying to reflect back on it. Um, and it's always difficult because, like... You, you know, we're straight back into another season, yeah. a lot of stuff going on here. So uh but having thought about it, maybe, uh, maybe um it's difficult because like a World Cup, realistically, I mean South Africa were the first team to win a World Cup having lost the game. So like we went into it thinking you gotta win seven big games on the bounce in seven in less than seven weeks. Mm. And it's like that emotional roller coaster that you go through. Like we, we, we thumped Australia in the quarter final and we thinking right, we're in a good place here, but we're playing the best in the world we got ourselves to a place that we were almost unbeatable against New Zealand. Um, and I thought in terms of our preparation, we actually prepared really well, but it definitely took a dent out of a, that emotional energy that we had, um, even though it was a World Cup final. Um, I think probably reflecting back on it, it had it had an impact on us, whatever it might have been. I don't know what, whether I can put my finger on it, but um, we weren't quite there. Um and like South, and like you got to give credit to South Africa the way they played. You yeah. know, we we, you you almost look at it like we bullied New Zealand in terms of the way that we played, how physical we were, all the rest of it, and then we got bullied the week after. Um, and that that's the difficult thing for us to take because, you know, we as an England team, and it's very similar to Saracens. We want to, when we go on the field, we want to be the most clearly the most physical team on there. So yeah, um, I draw but, a lot yeah. of
0: comparisons to we were speaking about the Sarries extra final they were within touching distance, as were you. Mm. Um, They'd played phenomenally well in the final up to that point, but then you managed to shift gears and and obviously change that. Although, you know, we're talking from a game there to a full tournament, maybe it's a a similar psychological shift. Yeah. You kind of feel like you're already
2: there. I think the build-up to the week as well, like, I think it's difficult, like, you, you try not to listen to the outside noise, like I spoke about before, but it's not even like the media and stuff like that. Like, you know, you've got family coming over, you've got people asking for tickets here there and everywhere you've got like all your mates messaging you being like you know you're gonna win a world cup you're gonna go on an open top bus tour you're gonna get an mbe uh, that's <laughs> like, so that's like the sort of things that was like going through And i was like bloody oh i am and then like you almost you do like i think i fell into the trap of getting distracted and uh um, sir jamie george yeah 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 it's <laughs> a <laughs> um no, and like know, I don't. I I didn't get too sucked into it too much. But there were, you know, I apart think it probably apart from the NBA, <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be uh, that'd be the one. Um, I was more buzzing about the open top bus tour. Today. Yeah. <laughs> um, nah, but yeah, I think you know all these things. I think play a big part, and um, I think the definite emotional um, roller coaster we went through the week before definitely probably took away from from what we what the performance that we put in. Um, yeah. For the final.
0: Well, both of you massive congrats for what you did get out of the tournament it was amazing watching and uh, i think if I did phenomenally well gutted that we didn't win but yeah me too yeah (laughs) so we talk a lot about failure and obstacles challenges on this podcast and the benefit that we get from those one of the things i was keen to hear about was the whether you've reflected and seen benefits or lessons from essentially the losses that you had in the tournament and between the two of you how you've looked at those losses because one was crashing out in the group stages and one was losing in the final just to see whether there's any difference or whether that failure feels the same
2: um difficult really like I think um the one thing it stressed for me was like although it's sort of career defining potentially winning a world cup final or how you get on in a world cup and all the rest of it like it doesn't define you as a as a person and um What I quite liked was the fact that, like, and I think naturally as rugby players, you always are like this, you're always thinking about what's next, like, as much as you're hurting massively, like, don't get me wrong, like, I'm still hurting from that final, and I think I probably will for years to come, Um, but I think a strength of mine personally is being able to get over things, um, or, like, parking it almost, and being able to move on to the next thing. Obviously, stuff's blown up, being back here with the stuff at Sarri's, and um, but that's almost given me an opportunity to go like, right, I want to fly into it now. Like that, that I want to um, show everyone what we can do and what we're actually about. Um, because, you know, I, I care about everyone involved in the club, you know, so. Um, but like dealing with the loss of it, I think it was, it's always going to be difficult. Um, you're always going to reflect back and say, what if? And mm. I wish I'd done this and whether was this a distraction or not. I don't really ever think we'll get the answer. Like I, I don't think I'll ever watch that game back. So I'd, I don't really want to watch that game back to be honest. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, you know, I, a strength of mine hopefully will be how quickly I can move on and get on with the next job at hand. And I'll always be like that until the day I retire. And then hopefully I'll be able to reflect back and be happy on about the way that I went about my business.
0: Yeah, amazing. dunk. Um yeah, that that
1: Japan game obviously I, I didn't get the chance to play in that game. Was that injury? Um, Did he
0: pick up another injury?
1: No, I I'd I well i hurt my thumb in the um in the in the Russia game and it was a four day turnaround and I, I would have been alright, but um the coaches just went with, with different options for that game and um yeah it was it was it was tough not being involved and not being able to do anything um,
0: Off the back of two wins as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So it was, it was, it was, it was obviously that was a, a bit of pill to swallow initially, and then um, losing that game, having not played in it, was probably it was a weird feeling. It was the most upset I think I've been after a game um, like that. I cried for about twenty minutes straight. I just couldn't control my tears after that game because that was just the realization that was it for me. You know, I I, I made it to this World Cup. I was going to play in the World Cup. Wanted to perform in the World Cup, didn't really go our way, uh, and I won't play another World Cup. The chances are, you know, I'll be 34 for the for the next one, and um, my rig is it's hanging on by a thread as it is. So I think it all just it all just hit me at the end of that game. You know that that was it, and that was the end of of um, of my chance to to do anything in a World Cup, which was was pretty devastating, a pretty pretty um, you know just a, a tough few minutes. And it was the same for for a lot of the guys there. You know, there was a lot of the guys that were retiring at the end of that World Cup, and and things didn't really quite go the way. And, you know, everything went Japan's way. And we kind of wanted to spoil their party a little bit in that last, last game. And it wasn't meant to be. Um, and obviously the expectation from everyone at home and, and everyone around you is that you make it through the, the group stages and you get to the quarterfinals. And then obviously what will be will be the, the pressure pretty much off if you, if you make it through to the knockout stages. Um, so unfortunately, that wasn't meant to be. And it was like I said, it was just a hard pill to swallow. And I think it left a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth about the whole World Cup for for a couple of weeks. Um, and I kind of, every time I was asked about it, I just didn't really want to speak about it. And then I reflect back on it now and a few weeks further down the line, and I, and I thought, you know, it was an incredible experience. And I'm so grateful that it did happen. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure there will be lessons that will will drawn as a squad from, from that Japan game and from that loss. And, you know, the emotional reaction that we all had off the back of it, I think will set us in good stead going forwards just to, to, you know, see how much it really meant to to a lot of those guys um was pretty special as well. So um yeah, it'll be interesting to see
0: how how we go when we get back together in the Six Nations. Thanks for sharing that. Made me feel a bit upset there, mate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Having man. a little sob. That kills me. <laughs> yeah. Um you've had an amazing career though, mate. You don't need to be upset about anything. So yeah, well done mate. Thanks for interesting though. What you both said really is that you're taking whatever's happened in the World Cup and you're just gonna charge into the games with, with club that are ahead so really interesting to hear that and I know you guys spoke both really well on the first episodes that you're on about culture and things like uh, the shit people don't see that TSPDS you spoke about which I've kept hold of that by the way you both spoke about that and I think about it all the time such a good philosophy with all the stuff that's gone on in the media is that just made you want to double down on that culture and those values that you hold like so highly in the club and just smash through the end of the season or would you have been that motivated without what's gone on?
2: I don't know whether I can say whether I would have been or whether I wouldn't, but um, I think the way that we're looking at it is like we've built a culture that has been successful and um, people think that the money is the reason why we've been successful and that's probably the last reason why we've been successful really. Um, what you know, what we've got out of, I know what I've taken personally, the player that I've become is purely down to the culture that Saracen's have brought me through. Um, and I think that it's just got to try and bring us tighter. Like, you know, it's difficult, but... I think the big thing, the big challenge for us, and it's probably a learning from the final, not looking too much externally, um, and just focusing on ourselves. Because, like I said, we're going to have to smash through the end of the season. We're going to have to win most of our games mm. uh, if we don't want to get relegated. So, um, it's a really difficult challenge that we're up against. Um, and it's we're always, you know, wanting to win games, but this is probably at bringing additional pressure um, that we're not used to. You know, it's there's probably more on the line now rather than winning a trophy. We're we're fighting for for our lives almost um but like I said like you know as much as we can the focus has got to be on trying to make sure that all this brings us tighter together all of this um you know we don't focus too much on what people are saying in the media what our mates are saying to us what our family are thinking you know everything you know we've got to make sure that we repeat why we were successful and the reason why we were is Club's a great place to come and play. We work really hard, but we enjoy ourselves while we're doing it. And if we replicate that model in the position that we're in now, then we're going to be in a great place.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's it's interesting. I haven't met too many of the pro rugby players away from Sarries, but everyone I've met within the Sarries are absolute legends, and they all quite clearly have the same values as you two. You can see why you get on so well and operate so well as a team as well. So
2: yeah, and I think if you like, a lot of people have come into Sarries. Um, whether it be through the academy or you know being signed as big names, and some people have come in and got you know chewed up and spat back out because you know the, the culture is so strong that you know you kind of have to you kind of have to buy into it, and if you don't buy into it, then you know, it's pretty, it sounds pretty savage. But you know it's you got to be you got to have an open enough mind to to want to get the best out of yourselves and buy into it. So, mm. uh, But
0: that's, I think, you know, anyone who's a peak performer and particularly, you know, if it's not an individual as a team, you need people to buy into that. Otherwise, you, you know, people say you're only as, as strong as your, your last man. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I can c- completely see why they do that.
1: Yeah, I I, I I personally couldn't be more excited or motivated for this, this season of, I think it's the most excited I've been for a season ever really? with, with this group of players, just because ex- exactly all those reasons really just... You know, our culture is going to get tested to to a point it's never been tested before. Um, you know, our performance levels are going to be tested to a point that it's never been tested before because, you know, when seasons gone by, we've had um, the luxury of having been able to get away with a few lulls and performances throughout the seasons. And this season's completely different. We don't have that luxury this season. We can't afford to, to drop off and we can't afford to, to have a dip in momentum at any point. You know, we have to, we have to keep just churning out wins and churning out performances and um, you know, we've had we've had quite a few honest chats over the last couple of weeks with each other. Um, you know about just about the situation we're in, really, like how everyone's feeling, uh, where everyone's heads at, um, how they're all, everyone's feeling going forward, and, and how we're going to take the club forward. And it's been great just listening to everyone speak so honestly. And um, I think you know, it's a point that Faz had made um, a couple of weeks ago: was we need to have those chats more than we've ever had those chats before this season, because you know, there's going to be Lots of, lots of different things that are happening in the outside world that will test, um, you know, people individually and uh, test us as a group. So um, we need to be honest with each other, where our heads are, what we're thinking, because, um, you know, there'll be more testing times than what we're at right now throughout the season as it goes on. So uh, that honesty, I think, is going to be one of the key values that we're going to have to fall back on. And it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be great to have a few, few more honest chats with all these boys.
0: Mm, amazing. Do you think that challenge brings more purpose than before as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it, it probably does to be fair because you know, like Jamie says, we're we're essentially fighting for the club's life here and um you know, if we if we manage to stay up, you know, then that's a, that's going to be a huge achievement, you know, and and the whole purpose of this season is now to to survive really to to stay up and and you know, once we pass that hurdle then we can maybe look higher up the table, but <laughs> until then, um you know, that's that's our, our main purpose and our main motivation is to to keep this club alive.
0: Yeah, I have every faith you boys are going to do it. Um, we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. Before we dive into those three, what was the highlight on and off the field for both of you in the World Cup?
2: Uh, on the field, I'll go with the New Zealand game. It's boring, but... Um,
0: Is there a particular point or um, the
2: whole thing? I just remember, um, it was actually nothing to do, well, it was to do with what we were doing, but they... Um, Scott Barrett made a, a bit of a line break in the first half and he tried to throw an offload and it went down and I just like saw the New Zealand team bickering for the first time ever I've played against them a few times now and like they don't like it's not what they're about really and like the fact that what you know what we had done had rattled the best team potentially ever <laughs> it was just like a sign for me where I was like yeah like you know and that gave me a boost it was only in the first half it was towards the end of the first half and I remember thinking like we've got them like we've got them, in the, and it's such a nice feeling that, um, but then you're challenged to, to keep it up because they could turn a game around pretty quick.
0: That's amazing, mate. Another boxing metaphor, but Tyson used to say the same thing, but his would be like eye contact, and as soon yeah. as they broke eye contact, that's like the chink you know. in the armor, and you did yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, that's awesome. Uh, off the field, Japan's an incredible place, honestly. It's yeah. culturally so different, um, but so welcoming. Um, being the coffee snob I am, I loved exploring the coffee culture out there because it's insane Um, but yeah like overall like just seeing the group develop as we did off the field being from a pretty broken group um, in the Six Nations to being tighter than ever and being a part of that was was special to be involved
0: yeah I bet amazing Dunk
2: Um,
1: on the field was probably the Samoa game Um, I came off the bench for that and we played I played 20 minutes or so but um, we needed five points from that game to to give ourselves a chance, and that was only the second game of the group. But we knew we needed five points from that game, and we got that in sort of the seventieth minute or so. And and then you know in that in that game um, we were camped on our try line for the last sort of five minutes of the match, and there was nothing to gain or, or win from letting them con- let, uh, from conceding a try there, but. The guys showed unbelievable fight to to keep them out for five minutes or so on our own try line, and that was something we could really hang our hats on to to push forward.
0: I remember that. Was that? Tell me if I'm wrong, but your first ever game for a Scotland first team was against Samoa. It was, yeah. And you it's lost, Africa, yeah. Did, yeah. Was that in your mind at all?
1: Um, no,
0: nah, it wasn't in my mind. No,
1: I can't really remember too much of that game. So, um, you know, I was just looking forward to having a crack and and getting back out there. Everyone was was super excited after that island game. You know, we we didn't really feel like we'd. We'd done ourselves proud. We hadn't really done our, our, our country proud at all in that game. So I think everyone was pretty gutted after that. So to get out there for the Samoa game, everyone was just super excited to get stuck in and see where we could have taken it. Um, and then off the field... You can give me a night out or something. Uh, we did have a great night out in Kobe, actually, after that Samoa game. Um, that was a lot of fun. The, the bars in, in Japan are very small, so we had sort of 31 lads in a bar that was no bigger than your shed out the back and it was uh it was quite (laughs) (laughs) it was quite interesting um being in being there and having a few beers but but that was great connecting there and also the onsens which are like the the spas that they have in these in the hotels and in various places oh man those things are unbelievable they have hot baths cold baths I went to a protein bath I don't even know what that means but it those was those showers that you see on the stools yeah showers on the stools there's like
2: traditional Japanese so you have, everyone has to be fully naked and it's like so the first time you go in there obviously everyone's like a bit like this is a bit weird like no one has a clue what's going on but Everyone by the end of it, everyone was like driving 20 minutes to find <laughs> the best in Tokyo, like it's like, like fully bought into its class. Yeah, they're
1: incredible. And the toilets as well. The toilets, so they have seat warmers on the toilets, so the seats always warm. Amazing. They have jets as well that spray your ass, nice, um, which is which is quite incredible. I love
2: that that's a personal highlight from the, I just your, your it, entire I just time in Japan. It, I just thought it was genius.
1: <laughs> the I, toilets. I just thought it was genius.
2: No, you're right, they are impressive. Yeah. I'll give you a um. I mean, I didn't realise that the night out was play on, but uh, the <laughs> night out after the final was absolute carnage. And um, we all went back to this hotel and uh, we were having a few beers. Obviously, it was like pretty sorrow, but we were like, like you know, let's just get on with it and, and fly into a few beers. And uh, Johnny May's got like, we've got a weird connection to Ed Sheeran. So um, he like knows his mum knows his mum or something like that. Anyway, Ed Sheeran was out there and oh, he walks into our team room and I think he was fully ready. Like there was only like probably 100 people in there. And he's fully ready to, like, get on the guitar. Well, that was what I was thinking in my mind. And he was, like, going around saying hello to people. And he brought, you know, a few, three mates with him. And then our security kicked him out because he didn't have a wristband. What? <laughs> and I was absolutely fuming. They were like, you can stay, but your mates can't because you haven't got a wristband. And I was like, mate, they can have my wristband. Like, carnage. And then we ended up, then we ended up in Rapongi until 9am. So that was, that was class as well. I love the
0: the idea of Ed Sheeran getting kicked out. Ed Sheeran get kicked
2: out. We were all like, you can imagine, Ed Sheeran walks in the door and everyone's like, oh my
0: God, He's ready for a bit of
1: council on the hill.
2: Yeah, everyone's just like, (laughs) everyone's like, go away, girl, mate. Just uh, like pass him (laughs) a guitar. Take a request. (laughs) Next minute, he's been booted out.
0: It's like Brent, he's like, he went home to get the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, amazing, boys. So these last three, we can do real quick fire ones. So the last time you guys were both on I'll tell you what your answers were. So the first question of these three is, is there something you've discovered or come across that you're particularly excited about? And Dunk, you said meditation in that one. And Jamie, you said, having just launched Car and George, recognizing that life outside rugby is improved by having a passion and, and a business and a focus outside of the game. So anything new you boys can add to that?
2: Hot pod yoga. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with hot pod yoga. It's decent.
0: I'm glad that came up again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. We should put on a Carter and George hot pod, you know, Yeah, out. let's Things do it. Come. All right. Yeah. I'm in.
2: All right. I'll buy a little tent. DT, you keen for come hot pod? You yeah, know. I'm dead keen. Does it come with an onsen? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll make it into an onsen. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm all over. Yeah. I'll have a word with the, the plumber about the toilet. So. <laughs> if not, I'll just stand there with a the hose.
1: <laughs> um, I'll go, I'll go something a bit more deep. Um, just, Having that last since I, since I last spoke to you, having that last year where I was where I was out injured a lot, I think just the importance of having good people around you in in shit situations is is uh, something that I've really valued over this last year. And I think like friends and family are just so important to to you when you're in a, a shit situation. So um, yeah, I think <clears throat> I think I've really found a, a different sort of um, appreciation for for the guys that are around me.
0: Amazing. Anyone in particular that you spent a lot of time
1: with? Uh well, I mean my physio, which is Jamie's brother, um oh, right. and my S and C coach, those two guys were incredible and, in that year and keeping me motivated and and keeping me busy and then just my family and, and, and these boys as well, all, all the boys that have been around me and yeah, boys back home as well were always incredible. So yeah. um yeah, just gave me a real appreciation for those that are around you.
0: Amazing mate, that's a great one. Um That's better than hot pod yoga. <laughs> 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 so the second of these three is recommending to listeners a habit that they should incorporate into their day hot um, pod yoga <laughs> <laughs> um, so last, I still do my one
2: from last time
0: last time Dunk said stretching before you go to bed and Jamie you said hot pod yoga Nice. No. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I still do
2: my one from last uh, time taking
0: stock and then looking at yeah. the head yeah do you do it every single week
2: yeah yeah on the drive in yeah nice I've got Nick Ezekwe in the car. The lad doesn't drop the He hasn't passed the driving test yet. So What's that? Nick Azique lives around the corner. One of the old oh, boys. Okay. Oh yeah. And he's failed his theory test eight times. <laughs> so I have to take him to training every day. So <laughs> that's a little bit harder. But uh, yeah, I still find time to do it. Um, something that like I've uh, like line up throwing in my job is obviously, or in my position in rugby is obviously something that's quite important. Um, like don't get bored in repetition fundamentally it's a, it's a closed skill um it's something that you you know you you only get better at if you it's like a golf swing you only get better at if you practice um and it can be very boring but like almost finding fun ways to make it enjoyable different targets or whatever it might be that I do um and not getting bored in that repetition and making it a habit is um is something that's got me to a place where I'm pretty happy with the way that you know I throw into a lineup and um you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at it now.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. There's a guy called Sean Green who's a Hall of Fame baseball player in America who said a similar thing about his batting practice and it became almost like meditative for him.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I find a very similar similar thing. I actually quite enjoy it. Mm. Um, like you, you almost get into like a rhythm when where you like, I, I can't really describe it, but it's just everything becomes quite easy and you like a big emphasis when you're line up throwing. There's a lot of, external noise crowd what the opposition are doing all the rest of it and being able to like black all that out and focus on one thing getting the ball from a to b and there are a few different variances with that as well um it's, it's something nice to be able to practice because then you can just blank out absolutely everything else yeah. as well that's going on um and yeah it's quite therapeutic almost yeah yeah nice
1: um i'd say it's something we've already spoken about it's just the recovery side of things for for guys that are trying to get to a, a high standard in sport um you know even to be fair even if you're if, if you're working in an office or whatever and you go to the gym after and, and you want to recover and feel good when you're when you're going back to the gym the next day um just the importance of recovery and getting into a routine with it so whether it's the ice baths or or bloody um
2: hot pod yoga yeah
1: <laughs> Um, or or the uh, the onsens in Japan, or whatever it is that that, that works for you. Uh, find something that works for you and get into a habit of doing it. And you know, it can really make a difference to the way you wake up in the morning as well. You know, if you wake up feeling shit and stiff and sore, um, you know, it's not necessarily as easy to get out of bed. So yeah. I think that's important.
0: Yeah. Okay. Amazing. You've got a business here, mate. Hot pod <laughs> Yoga. Yeah,
2: I, need to, I, wish, I wish I'd start a little hot pod Yoga business. <laughs>
0: it's never too late. Okay. Last one, guys, is key trait that's allowed you to get to where you are. Dunk, previously you said commitment and sacrifice and that was specifically to the game. So doing whatever it takes to get there. Four. Yeah. Oh, that's good, good answer. answer that. yeah. And uh, Jamie, you said hard work but not being satisfied with where you are. So tying back into what you said on the previous answer which yeah. was about taking stock and looking forward
2: i'll go um i think something that i've got a lot better at and it's something that we've spoken about a bit already is like blocking out like not being focused too much on external things that don't matter so i only focus on i only focus on the only thing that i value is like the gaining the respect or not letting people down of the people who i care about so in our job unfortunately something that happens is you know, either the media, so the newspapers or whatever, write an article about you, or, you know, the world of social media, someone will write to your social media telling you how bad you are at rugby or how fat you are, which I, I get quite a lot. Um, and uh, just being able to like laugh at it almost and like black it out. And um, yeah, only like I genuinely only care about making the people proud who I, who I actually care about. And I think it's just probably a strength of mine being able to not, not like, not give two fucks what anyone else yeah. thinks about.
0: Yeah, amazing, mate. That's a good one. It's
1: a really good one. <laughs> do you agree? Is that your I, uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I thoroughly agree. <laughs> I actually do
1: agree. I, I fully agree with what he said. Then I think it's um, it's so important to be able to sort of stay in your own little bubble, and uh, and you know, obviously, you want to take in everything that's going on in the outside world, but just not be influenced to, to, to a ridiculous degree. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's definitely a strength I've had is just being able to to brush all that kind of stuff aside
0: yeah it's so important what's the point of listening to what other people want to say about you or judgments they have on you anyway exactly um, boys thank you so much thank you we've run over a little there
2: done an hour and 15 so yeah. sweet I could, be, I could be here all day <laughs> it's
1: an hour and 15 for the listeners to, to nap to
2: yeah <laughs> I'll send them to sleep yeah recovery <laughs>
0: uh, yeah boys thank you so much Jamie thanks for having us uh, thank you thanks for the world class coffee
2: anytime mate anytime
0: and we're going for a dog what now are we
2: yeah. Million percent. Yeah. Oh, I think my dog's broken <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's taking himself to bed right boys good luck with the coming season I'm going to come and watch as much as I can and yeah thanks again thanks brother so there it is guys thank you so much Jamie thank you so much Duncan you're both legends you've done incredible things in your career already and I can't wait to see what you do in the years to come Absolutely devastating that, obviously, as an England fan, that we didn't win the World Cup final. But so fantastic to hear Jamie's insight and hear about the things that they did in the camp. Particularly the thing that stood out for me, of course, was hearing about the V and how Owen Farrell creatively put that together. And really funny hearing how Joe Marler didn't quite understand it. But I think everyone would agree we're all so proud of the way that the lads represented us in the tournament. And on a personal level, gutted to see that Dunk went out in the group stages. I feel like he deserves so much more. He's such a fantastic player and guy anyway. But now they're both back into their club season and I can't wait to see how they deal with this scrap that they got with Saracens and I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. So we'll be following week in week out looking forward to seeing you all prove the critics wrong. So I was having a bit of a technical error this morning and this is my fourth take. So much so I'm just going to freestyle now because I normally write down a little bit of a guide of the intro and the outro. But off the back of that I would encourage people to think a little bit more about maybe the recovery that people are doing. It was great to hear some of the methods that the lads use, like cold water exposure, which we spoke a lot about on the podcast before. In particular, cold baths, which I did do in my time when I played football in America, but now I just do cold showers. It's a bit intense to do a cold bath or ice bath. Plus, if you don't want to go and try a hot bod yoga after that, then I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> it was really interesting hearing that that was one of the methods that was used. and. Yoga's obviously been massively popularised recently, not only for its recovery benefits but also spiritually it gives you that stillness and opportunity to find a little bit of calm in your life. It's something I've not actually tried, I've done hot yoga but not necessarily the hot pod yoga which I think is obviously a similar thing but kind of a different facility. But thanks again so much to the boys. Looking forward to dropping next week's episode with an amazing individual called Marvin Sordell. Marvin is a former professional footballer, he played 10 years as a pro. A lot of that time was in the Premier League for clubs like Burnley, Coventry, Bolton. He scored some amazing goals. He played England under 21s. There's actually a video clip of one of his goals, which is an absolute screamer. Anyway, he's recently retired. He now has a production company and he's doing fantastic things for mental health. He had his own suicide attempt at some stage during his career. We talk about that and so many different things. It was another one of them special conversations. that I'm so pleased I can share. So look forward to sharing that in a week's time. And until then, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.